Good morning. I want to welcome you to worship at First Baptist Church. My name is Steve, and we're glad you're here. Just remain standing for a minute, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to greet one another. Uh, it is that special time of year, and uh, I want to put you on alert. I know you need a little update from the Tour de France. Some of you aren't into it, but it is the main sporting event of the year for me. And uh, Tuesday morning, I think I'm going to be at Barney's Beanery because Lisa said she can get that on OLN. And uh, that's the main day, Tuesday, Wednesday is when it's going to happen. So if you really want to know, tune in on those days. And if you miss it in the morning, if you have to, if work or something like that gets in the way of the tour, uh, just quit work. I'm, no, I mean, you can watch it in the evening at 6 to 8. So anyhow, the big week is coming up, and it's been an amazing tour with uh, almost a record, record number of different leaders. And uh, I'm watching, but just just had to update. I've restrained myself for two weeks and not said anything, but uh, I got it out today. Uh, it's not hot in here, so just forget about that. Don't talk about the weather. It's cool. Think cool. We're going to have a cool service, and uh, we're glad you're here again. I know a lot of folks are traveling today, but uh, welcome to worship again. We really do want this to be a special day in your life. You've made a good decision. You're in church. You're starting your week with the Lord and with the Lord's people, and uh, we want you to feel welcome. And so one way we do that is I commission all of you right now as greeters and turn and welcome a couple folks. Several years ago when we lived in the San Fernando Valley, I was going to the tax man, and I think he was in Orange or Brea somewhere that I didn't know, uh, an area I was not familiar with. So I got my directions, took off from the San Fernando Valley, and was going, the goal was to go down the 5, get on the 10. And uh, I did that. And as I drove along, uh, in fact, as I'm telling this story, I'm wondering why did I set myself up for this kind of vulnerability. But anyhow, uh, as I was driving along, I had this creeping sensation that uh, perhaps things weren't right. And the further I drove, the more I began to wonder, now, wait a minute, am I going east or west? It must have been a cloudy day. I don't know. I was not familiar with L.A. so much at the time. And uh, as I drove along, I really was beginning to struggle. I don't know if I went the right way or not. And finally, when I saw the Pacific Ocean, I realized uh, I was going west when I should have been going east. Now, I confess to you, I'm a little bit directionally challenged. For some reason, when we travel overseas, you know, I'm better. But uh, Joyce will often say to me, well, honey, you've been there. Don't you know how to get there? And I say to her, Joyce, let me remind you that my having been there has nothing to do with whether or not I can get there again. I just don't know. I don't remember those kinds of things. And so, again, I confess to you there are times when I'm driving and uh, I don't know if I'm going east, west, north, south. Uh, I just don't know the direction in which I'm going. And that day I had to call, you know, and rush over and was a little late to, to the tax man. Now, the problem was I needed a GPS a global positioning system. My son recently got a car that has one of those, and we were going off to Idlewild to a bike race, and uh, I couldn't believe it. I was just fascinated. I would crash the car if I had one of those because I spent the whole time watching. You know, it just maps out exactly where you're going. I looked up on the Internet a bit. Uh, the global positioning system is called Navstar. Navstar, I guess, is that's the organization that runs that. And actually, they're all run by our Air Force. They're in charge of the satellites. At the beginning of the year, there were 29 of these satellites rotating the Earth at uh, 20,000 kilometers an hour. And as they're up there, of course, they send a signal to your GPS, which is simply a receiver, 
and it gets a signal from four different satellites, and that's called trilateration. I think that's the word. Does anybody know the word? It's not triangulation. Aha, I got you. It is something to the effect of triadulate. Where is this word here? I didn't write it down on these short notes. Trilateration, I think, is the correct word. And uh, it positions you. Now, both the civil uh, GPS systems and the military run off the same satellites. And, again, the Air Force controls these things. And uh, it's just uh, astonishing what these GPS systems will do. Anybody have a GPS system or use one? All right. Um, Grace, tell, can you tell me about it? I mean, what, why do you have a GPS? Teach backpacking. And so why would you have one? So where they know where to go. Yeah? Was it useful? Sometimes. Yeah? Yeah, you need to connect with a minimum number. Yeah, they really are amazing. Some of the guys I bike with now have them on their bicycles. You can get the personal handheld kind. You can have them on your car. You know, you can have them anywhere. And uh, they are so sophisticated now that as you get one in your car, for example, you may be driving along anywhere in the country, and you say, I'm out of gas. I need a shell station. And if it's set up with this kind of information, it will tell you where the nearest shell station is or Starbucks or restaurant. Uh, not only that, as you travel along, they can tell you your altitude. And the ones we use in cycling, they'll tell you, you know, how much altitude you gain at over a certain ride. You can carry one as you walk. It'll tell you how fast you're walking. Uh, of course, it can tell you how to get where you're going. You program it in, it'll tell you here's how to go. And as you drive along, uh, if you turn the wrong way, if it's voice, if there's a voice connected with it, it'll tell you you've turned the wrong way. Turn around and go back. It's just amazing what a GPS will do. Now, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about a GPS for life. For those of you who may not have been with us every Sunday for this summer, we are looking at key beliefs for life, really foundational beliefs that we as followers of Jesus can build our life on. And we've been going through the core values of our church, and this morning we're at core value number four. And uh, can you guess what that is? I mean, from the, do you, do you get, catch a direction here today? What's this value going to be about? One word, the Bible, yes. Let's put up uh, core value number four. And I'd like for us to read this together, if you'll read this with me. We believe God inspired the Bible so we may know him and live in right relationship with God and others. Therefore, we will study, teach, and live by the Bible. And this morning, I would like to talk to you about the Bible and uh, encourage you in the scriptures today and encourage you that this can be your GPS for life. Now, Abraham Lincoln said this. Quote, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. For this book we could not know, but for this book we could not know right from wrong. The great author Charles Dickens said, The New Testament is the very best book that ever was or ever will be known in the world. And we could go on and on with quotes of what people have said about the Bible. This morning I want to encourage you... Uh, in the Bible. And as I've thought all week long, I said, Steve, what, what would you really like folks to do as a result of being in worship this morning as they walk out? And I will tell you this. I hope that you walk out of here, uh, if you're not already, realizing, look, Sunday morning is not enough. I am personally myself going to become actively involved in reading or listening to the Bible. 
And so I have a real agenda this morning. I'll put it right out there. Uh, many of you are Bible readers. Some of us have never quite gotten into that regular discipline of getting into the Bible for ourselves in a personal way. And I hope that this message motivates and inspires you to do exactly that this morning, to say, you know, the, the Bible is, in a real sense, my GPS for life. So, so that's my agenda, okay? Now, we hear, hear a lot these days about biblical authority, and uh, I'm not going to go down that road too far except to say my goal is not to get you to worship the Bible today. The Bible is simply a tool God uses in our lives to draw us to Jesus Christ and to speak to us about the living God. And so this morning, again, I, I encourage you uh, in the Word to be a person of the Word. Somebody said, uh, I don't remember where I got this quote, but that people with Bibles who are falling apart usually aren't. That's good. Did you catch that? People with Bibles who are falling apart usually aren't. And uh, I like that. So let's, let's look this morning at um, some things about the GPS system for life. And if you have your worship folder, I encourage you to turn your attention there to the outline that's in it and uh, walk through me with this. Use God's GPS to show you, first of all, where you are in life. Use it to orient you. This is a comment about location. Use it to show you where you are. Now, if I had had in my car a GPS that day I was driving west on the 10 when I should have been going east, I would have easily looked down and it would have had the 10 freeway there. It would have had an arrow pointing in that direction. And if I had programmed it in, it would have said, turn around, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong direction. Because the GPS will show you your exact location. In fact, it's within a few feet of being accurate. It's astonishing. And, of course, the military ones are dead spot on. And so there, there is almost no error in their ability to show you where you are. Now, actually, I think the Scripture does that for us as well. The Bible can help you know where you are in life. It can orient you in life. And uh, that's one of the things it can do for us. Let's read from Psalm 119. We're going to put up a, a couple of verses this morning. It might be kind of interesting today for you to, uh, you know, we use all this technology and we don't actually pick up our Bible sometimes. By the way, you can get a lot of free versions of the Bible on downloaded to your computer. I encourage you to do that. Um, in your pew is a Bible. Why don't you take it out? Let's, uh, let me see it. Look, look around, David. It's like a Pentecostal church, isn't it? Everybody waving their Bible. Wow. Uh, turn to Psalm 119. You just crack it open in the middle and you might end up there. Look what Dave's got here. That's your Bible. What version you got there, Dave? CEV. On the, you can download these things and he's got it on his PDA. Um, we want to look at Psalm 119. We're going to end up on verse 33-34. This is on page, uh, in the Pew Bible, 567, page 567. Psalm 119 is an interesting psalm. It's the longest psalm of the Bible, 176 verses. We can just read through it today, right? We'd be here a while. It's actually a song about the Bible, and I think I'm correct in saying every single verse in Psalm 119, every verse, the 176 verses, every verse but one talks about the Bible. It uses eight or nine different expressions, the law, the word, uh, there are different words it uses, but the, the psalm is about the Bible and what the Bible means to us, or God's scripture. And it's a fascinating psalm. If you like poetry, it's a psalm that has 22 stanzas. Each stanza has tw uh, eight verses. And the stanzas are built around the Hebrew alphabet. 
and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So the, if you're looking at Psalm 119, and unfortunately this Bible doesn't indicate that. Some scriptures actually put the Hebrew letter there, which is helpful. Uh, but, for example, verse 1, you'd have an Aleph. And in the Hebrew, every line, there are eight lines in the first stanza. Every line begins with what letter? Aleph. And then when you go to the second stanza, which would be Baith, they all begin with Baith. And it goes that way for 22 different uh, letters. And so it flows through the Hebrew alph- alphabet. I just find that fascinating. And it's all about the Word of God. Now, in, in uh, Psalm 119, we're looking at kind of a section 33 and following, although you could choose about any section. Uh, let's read verse 34, and we'll put it up on the screen and read this together. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. I want to focus on that, give me understanding. And the word for scripture here uh, in this phrase is, or sentence is the word law. Give me understanding. What the psalmist is asking for here from God through the scripture is not simply a mental capacity, but also the emotional will of the heart to do what scripture says. Uh, one rabbi in talking about this scripture and similar ones said, uh, to combine understanding and wisdom is like thinking of bread and a fine meal. And now some of us are not in the habit of bread uh, at meals, but if you are in that tradition, then uh, when you, if you just had bread, you'd say this meal is not complete. And if you just had a, a savory dish there, you'd say, where's my bread? Because I want to eat the bread and the dish together. And that's the way wisdom and understanding are supposed to work. And God is, the, the psalmist is praying to God here, give me understanding, O Lord. Understanding both wisdom and, uh, and uh, understanding combined is like bread and the savory dish. Now, let's, we're also going to look at another passage. And so you kind of keep your finger in Psalm 119 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. Flip over in the back of your Bible to page uh, 213. And I'm going to ask somebody to just, we're going to put that on the screen, but who would be willing to stand up and read loudly? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Anyone want to volunteer to read that? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Good, thank you. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, this passage, of course, is taken from Paul's writing to the young preacher named Timothy. Now, Timothy already knew these things. He had lived and traveled with Paul. Paul had mentored him along the way. But as Paul is growing older, he wants to leave in writing something fixed, not only for Timothy, but for us as well. And God moves on Paul, and Paul writes this about the Scripture. And and this teaches us at least two things. First of all, this book is valuable because where does it come from? God. All Scripture is God-breathed, so the source is God. That makes it valuable. But you might have something valuable from God that you say, well, it belongs at the Smithsonian. We're going to look at it. We're going to revere it, but it's not really very useful. There are a lot of artifacts around this world that we no longer use that we preserve. They have value, but they're not useful. But Paul says to Timothy, Scripture is not only from God, but it's useful. And then he lists four reasons why it is useful. And you could print, preach a series on each of these words, but he talks about the four reasons why the uh, Scripture is useful. And he says that um, Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, some have said that teaching and rebuking are sort of the intellectual side, and correcting and training are the experiential. In other words, it has intellectual val- value and practical value. 
I don't know if that's a fair division or not. But the point is that Scripture has its value in our life to help us as a follower of Jesus, to help us along the way. It orients us. And so as we think about our GPS for life, it helps us know where we are. It orients us. It helps us know where we are. Now, before I move off this uh, idea of location, remember as we've talked about our values, um, you may have come into worship today and uh, appreciated Elena's prayer. She talked about some of us are here that are struggling with relationships. We may be lonely. You may, you may feel, as they say, lower than a snake's belly this morning. You, you may be down and out. What does Scripture do for you? Well, remember a few weeks ago we talked about value number one and the first words of Scripture, in the beginning, who, what? God created. And so Scripture draws us up to God. And as we've gone through those chapters, what, what is the crowning act of God's creation? Chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. What is God's best work? Us, yeah, you, me. Humanity, we are God's crowning act of creation. So as I read that, I realize uh, there's something special in the human being, every human being. Now, what is it that's special about us that you can't say about your favorite dog or cat? What, what's special? What's unique about every human person? The soul, but we're, we're, there's something special that those chapters teach us. We are created in God's image, the imago gay. So... That's You turn to Scripture to help locate us where we are. Now, unfortunately, uh, we had to go to another chapter, didn't we? And sometimes we say, I'm down, I'm out, I'm, I'm all messed up, and we wonder why. Genesis chapter 3, something else is introduced into the world. What was that? Sin. There is a brokenness to the human condition, and we recognize that. And Scripture helps us understand that in our world today. And so Scripture orients us. It helps us. It speaks truth to us. It it does all of these things for us. So where are you in life? Your GPS system helps locate you. Now, that's not all it does. GPSs do a lot more than saying, here's, your, here's where you are. Sometimes you can know where you are and you're still lost. It reminds me of the guy that was drunk and he called home to get a ride. And uh, the person said, well, tell me where you are. And he said, I'm on a street corner. Well, what street corner? He says, I don't know. It says, I'm on, oh. I'm on the corner of walk and don't walk. Uh, next point. Sorry. Use your GPS system also for help in where to go. Where to go. What is your destination? Uh, in Psalm 119, a little later on, in verse 105, probably the most famous verse of Psalm 119, God's word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives guidance. Cullen, I need some help today. Could you come up here real quickly? Yeah, you're the only Cullen in the room. Sorry. Um, our wireless mic is not working, so I'm very, I'm leashed here. Um, Come on up here. I've got something up here that's uh, quite special. Anybody know what this is? Can you? It's a carbide light. Yeah. How do you know that, Evie? Are you an old miner? A number of years ago, Joyce and I got into um, caving with our son Adam, 
And we had a lot of fun. In fact, we belonged for years to the Pasadena Grotto here. The whole Southern California Grotto meets at the library in Pasadena, or did then. And we got into caving, and when you're caving, you, you want to hold this? Thank you. And to grab those matches? We're going to blow you up. No. Um, we got into caving. When you're caving, you've got to wear a hat because you don't want to knock your head against the, uh, the top of the cave. So you wear this kind of hat. And uh, keep it straight up and down here. There you go. Thanks. Uh, we, you can buy lights, and the best lights are battery-operated. You can get very bright lights. You can buy cheap lights and so forth. But I, uh, we got all these caving catalogs, and I realized, hey, they still use carbide lights. So uh, we, I bought this, and I've used this many, many hours of caving. And, and uh, all we need for you to do is get those matches, and I'll hold this. You're going to – does it smell? Yeah. What's it smell like? Sulfur or something, yeah. You know what? Carbide looks like gray gravel. It's just, and what I did was uh, last night I put some of the gravel in the bottom of this. Go ahead and light a match and stick it to the front of this. Um, there's another way to light these, but my thing broke. Now turn that dial up. We'll make, can you see that flame at all? It's kind of weak today. It doesn't have enough fuel. But anyhow, the carbide looks like gravel. And uh, just looks exactly like a rock. And you put these pieces of rock in there, and you put water in the top half of that tank, and by this lever it drips down into the carbide, forms gas, and it burns. They do stink, but um, they work marvelously well, and they don't go out so much in the wind. Why don't you fasten it right on the end here? You just put the matches down. And uh, you can even try that on if you want. I don't know. You could bike with it at dark, right? Anyhow, we'd fasten that light on there. And as you go through a cave, of course, that's one way to light your way. You always want a little bit of backup, so that's just uh, one angle. Yeah, just set it in there, and you can set it back on the stand. We'll, we'll just let it burn. How many of you have been in a cave? They, do they shut out the lights? It's dark. That's as dark as it gets. I mean, if you're in a, in a, in a cave with no opening in sight, that's true darkness. You cannot see. You literally cannot see anything. Now, when you're in that situation... Any kind of a light works great, doesn't it? The littlest of lights will help you out. Even a match, uh, a glow stick, whatever you've got is better than nothing. It's far better than nothing because any amount of light will dispel the darkness. Of course, the more light you have, the better off. But any light will work when you're in a cave and it's very dark. Well, the scripture, the psalmist says, is like a light. It helps us see where we're going and be able to go on the path God has for us. And so it's like a light. It illuminates our way. Now, the number one light of Scripture, the number one goal of Scripture, is to help you understand that God has a plan of salvation for you and light your way into eternity through Jesus Christ. Jesus, in fact, said, I am the light of the world. And so as we read Scripture, it ought to lighten our lives as we meet Christ, and it leads us to our destination, which is salvation. I don't know about you, but... uh, in fact, I think I do know about you. Aren't, aren't stories about people meeting God just the best? I always go to Time Magazine to read those stories. You laugh. This week's edition of Time Magazine, there's this article, and it says, uh, Reconciling God and Science. Genome mapper Francis Collins is an evangelical Christian. His new book says that's not a contradiction. And it's got an amazing article in here on uh, Francis Collins. Uh, I guess he rides motorcycles. Yeah. On his helmet it says uh, Gene, G-E-N-E, Rider. R-I-D-E-R. I I don't know. That's just thrown in for free. 
anyhow, in the article, here's what it says. In 2000, Bill Clinton honored Collins and his private sector competitor, Greg Venter, in the White House, crediting their uh, complementary work, uh, genome work, on uncovering the language in which God created life. And that's a phrase that Collins used, uses of his work, uh, the, language that God, the language in which God created life. That statement reflected Collins' input. In 1976, during his medical residency, the, ser- the serene faith, now this is the part to get, the serene faith of the mortally ill patients shocked the self-described, quote, obnoxious atheist into consulting a local minister who handed him a copy of Mere Christianity by the great Christian popular writer and Narnia creator C.S. Lewis. Struck by Lewis' nuts and bolts approach, Collins investigated faith on his, in his own methodical method. Finally, one morning in 1976, while hiking in the Pacific uh, Cascades, he came upon a massive frozen three-stream waterfall. To him, it recalled the Trinity. He writes, and I quote, I knelt in the dewy grass, and as the sun rose, I surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's a great statement, isn't it? I knelt in the dewy grass, and as the sun rose, I surrendered to Jesus Christ. Reconciling his belief with his service to, the, to genetics proved easier for him than for many of his colleagues. Upon discovering the fibrosis flaw, he remembers feeling that, quote, God had rained down on me a blessing, end of quote. But in a profession where only 8% of those of who, uh, let me back up. But in a profession only 8% of whose elite admit to believing in God, a God who answers prayer, he found that God talk could be something of a taboo. Quote, bring up faith and there always is a sense of, didn't you get the memo? <laughs> Anyhow, a great story about someone who came to salvation as they searched for Jesus Christ through their research and study of the Scripture and of the influence of Christian writers. And so this morning, as you think of your GPS for life, as you read this book, it's not just to locate you in life and orient you. It is to help you find salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, It also helps us think about our destination. I had a whole bunch of scriptures I was going to share with you this morning, but let me reference just one. As you think about uh, life, isn't it wonderful to go to the end of the book, and especially when you're discouraged or when we've lost loved ones, and read John's writing where he says at the end of the book, I saw a new heaven, I saw a new earth. And he takes us to that uh, imagery that's so rich in chapter 21 of, of this city that he sees and this place he sees, and he says, in that place, there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain or sickness or crying. For the old order of things has passed away and the new has come. And so I encourage you this morning, as you read this GPS, it helps give you a picture, a sense, not only of where you are, but where you're going through the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ our Lord. One other comment. Uh, This is a GPS that not only helps us be located where we are, help us know where we're going, but as we're going, it gives us direction. It helps us know how to get there. That's direction. Let's look at another psalm, uh, Psalm 119. Verse 36 and 37. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Now, how would you 
define the word vanity? What is a vanity? We're in, it's a dresser with a mirror on it, okay? <laughs> and you look in. Oh, all right. Yeah, how else? We're in big trouble if you don't know about vanity here. What is, what's, what's, how do we describe vanity? Selfishness? Being vain? But what else? Love of self? Proud, yeah. When the psalmist says, and you could use this for, your, for one day, this verse would be plenty. If you prayed, Lord, turn my heart to your decrees, may my will be to do your will, and not to selfish gain, turn my eyes from looking at vanities. He's not talking about looking in the mirror at home, the vanity. Turn my eyes look, from looking at vanities. What would be, and he's not talking about looking at yourself, what would be a vanity to look at? Yeah, the things of this world, things that are out there, you could put in the word worthless. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless, worthless things. Now, men... Some of us struggle with what our eyes look at, right? Uh, sometimes women do too. And sometimes we realize I'm spending an awful lot of time with X, Y, or Z. There's nothing particularly wrong with it. It's just vain. It's worthless. It's, and so there are many ways that you can get siphoned off every day devoting your life's energy to things that actually are worthless. Vanity. It doesn't mean anything. You know, when I cycle, and, and no, I don't want to use that illustration. Anyhow, you know what I mean. There are all kinds of ways in which we can get derailed. If you watch TV for eight hours a day, then that's that just sheer vanity. It's worthless. You turn your eyes away. Get connected with life. Get a mitt. Get in the game. Do something of value. And so this scripture helps us in the sense of giving us direction. In fact, one of the Proverbs says, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, go straight forward. And that, that's one way we can use uh, this kind of scripture. Um, another scripture says, for example, Psalm 143. Is that? Let's put that up there. Remind me each morning of your constant love, for I put my trust in you. My prayers go up to you. What's the last line? Show me the way I should go. That's in your outline. Underline that. That would be a great prayer every morning. Just underline that. And if you prayed that prayer every morning and looked to Scripture, that's another way to come at this. Here's your GPS, Lord. Show me the way to go. Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I meet with this person? Do I not meet with him? Show me, Lord. And the person that looks to God and hears the Scripture is going to be guided by the Lord as, the, as you go through the day. Um, another great place to look for inspiration about the Bible is Rolling Stone magazine, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, Noel agrees. Anyhow, there was a great article in the November issue on Bono. And uh, I'm not even going to ask whether you know who this is or not, but I hope, hope that you do. Anyhow, one of the top bands of the last 30 years, and they interviewed Bono. He's the leader of that band, and he's been very active in uh, getting governments to give money to help out with the AIDS issue in Africa. Anyhow, they interviewed him, and they said this, Do you pray or have any religious practices. Now, that's a setup because everybody knows he does. And Bono said this, I try to take time out of every day in prayer and meditation. I feel at home in a Catholic cathedral as well as in a revival tent. And he has some Pentecostal background in growing up. Um, then the question was this, how big an influence is the Bible on your songwriting? How much do you draw on the imagery of its ideals? It sustains me, he said, as a belief or as a literary thing? As a belief. 
these are hard subjects to talk about because you can sound like such... Oops, I can't say that in church. <laughs> Anyhow, let's move on. Uh, he sa- Bono says this, I'm the sort of character who's got to have an anchor. I want to be around immovable objects. I want to build my house on a rock because even if the waters never get high around the house, I'm going to bring back a storm. I have that in me. So it's sort of an underpinning for me. I don't read it as a historical book. I don't read it as, quote, well, that's good advice. I let it speak to me in other ways. They call it rhema. It's a hard word to translate from Greek, but it sort of means it changes in the moment you're in it. It seems to do that for me. You're saying it's a living thing? It's a plumb line for me. In the scriptures, it is self-described as a clear pool that you can look, that you can see yourself in to see where you're at, if you're still enough. In fact, I'm writing a poem at this moment called The Pilgrim and His Lack of Progress. I'm not sure. It's the, I'm not sure I'm the best advertisement in the world for this stuff. But anyhow, fascinating comments. And as Bono talked about Scripture, did you hear what he said? For me, it's an anchor. It's stabilizing. He used the word rock. It's something I can build upon. He said it's a plumb line. That's straight up and down. It helps you show whether you're out of balance or not. The plumb line, is it crooked? Is it straight? And he said it's like a clear pool that I can look into, and it reflects back to me who I am. And that's what we talked about in location. And all of the, you know, this kind of inspired me. I said all this stuff will preach. But that's the idea. That's another way of saying what is Scripture for me? It's something that's alive, and it speaks to me, and it shapes me as a follower of Jesus. And this morning, um, as I wrap up, I just I hope that in some small way I've communicated to you uh, the value of this book. It's useful for life. And so many of you actually never open it up unless I ask you to open it on a Sunday morning. And my friend, you really cannot grow to the stature of Christ outside of you reading this book for yourself. And the beauty is, the amazing thing is, we have men and women here who can read this in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and they read it for years, and it still speaks to them in all of their abilities and intellect and scholarly knowledge of the Scripture. It's still rich for them. We've got others here who can barely read, and it speaks to you as well. And that's the nature of this book, and and I want to encourage you in reading it. Um, Thursday, I visited Paula Bird. Paula and uh, Phil are often not in church here because they're up working with the children. They've been members of this church for years. Many of you don't even know them because they're always committed to children's ministry. Uh, Paula had an appendectomy recently, and things didn't go well afterwards. Her body just didn't kick in and start working. So she went, she was in the hospital for a week. The doctor said, you'll be all right. She got more and more miserable. Finally, on Thursday, they did a procedure. And uh, after the procedure, I was there, and we were talking. And she was very discouraged, very uncomfortable, crying, and said, you know, Pastor, I'm praying hard. I just don't know. And I said, well, let's, let's pray again. And I shared with her some scriptures. Now, way back in, in May, my dad said, Steve, I want to give you a phylacrity. That's a scripture you're supposed to put it on your forehead and in your pockets, you know. And he's, he said, I've gotten into carrying around verses for a while. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give uh, my son some of these verses. And he said, here's the verses I gave to you. Now, for those of you visiting, we've had tremendous losses in our church the last six weeks, and that was part of my dad's response. And I won't read them all, but this is what I read to Paula. This is the first one from Isaiah. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. 
And that phrase caught my attention. God works for those who wait for Him. And so sometimes while I'm simply waiting, what is God doing? And I read that to Paul. I said, Paul, I know it's miserable. I don't know what the end result here is, but wait. God's at work. And then this was the last one I read. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And the scripture instruction here is be strong. That's what we need to do. But then it says it's, it's almost a passive form. Let your heart take courage. As you wait, God's going to help your heart take courage. And that's been very significant scripture to me lately. Well, I shared those with Paula. I was studying Friday morning the phone. I saw a message light come on and I uh, picked it up. Paula said, call me. So I called her at the hospital. And she'd already called Marianne, who's been so faithful in visiting. And different person, wasn't it, Friday morning? She said, Pastor, I had a great night. Things are good. My body's working. I'm going to get out of here soon. And uh, just, a, just a great turnaround. Well, all of that uh, was helped. We were encouraged along the way through Scripture. Now, as I wrap up, there's in your outline, you have this uh, kind of check off some boxes. I realize that you might say, Steve, I don't read the Bible, but I don't read anything. I don't read the newspaper. I don't read the sports section. I just don't read. Well, that's okay. Because you can buy a cassette tape or a CD of the Scripture. You can download it on your computer. And if you're not a reader, I encourage you to get the Scripture in audio form and listen to it. Maybe as you drive to work, you you listen your way through a book of the Bible. Or maybe you carve out a particular time at your computer. You listen to a book book of the Bible. And furthermore, let me suggest you, you adopt this pattern. Take the Proverbs. Today's, what day is it? Sunday the 16th. That's right. So read the 16th chapter of Proverbs. And I challenge you for a year, if, if that's all you can do, that's great. Just read on the first day of the month, read the first chapter, and the second day of the month, read the second chapter. And in, you can read through Proverbs 12 times and become familiar with that section of Scripture. And there will be something valuable for you every day as you read. Or maybe you want to read the Gospel. But um, anyhow, I could go on, but our time is up. Thanks for listening, and I encourage you that uh, open this book. It's an amazing book. Don't say, Pastor Steve, I'm going to start in Genesis through read through the Bible. If you haven't been a reader, pick something simple, start there, and start reading. And let this book become your GPS for life. Ted, let's uh, kind of wrap this all up by singing that song, Ancient Words, again. You want to? That'd be great.